everybody. Welcome to the TD Green Podcast. I'm Kevin Sylvester. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to talk about the Golden Bears' visit to Buffalo. Jack Nicholas, yes, in Buffalo to meet with civic leaders, some community leaders and organizations about the prospects of a Nicholas Signature Golf Course in Buffalo, in the city of Buffalo. Frankly, two of them. I'll tell you more about that later and what my thoughts are on that. But first, I'm joined by one of my colleagues from PGA Tour Radio, Will Haskett. He's got a cool podcast, too. It's a podcast about golf and the numbers. It's called the Perfect Number Podcast. So I'm going to talk to Will about that. We're going to talk to him about Tour Championship this week and whom he likes to win the Tour Championship and some thoughts on the Ryder Cup. So here's my conversation with Will Haskett. Well, Will, great to uh, great to have you. Great to talk to you again. Last time we talked was actually the John Deere Classic at uh, the Oven in Silvis, Illinois, the Quad Cities. How you been? The Midwest Masters. You've got that part of it as well, Kev. <laughs> for those of us that reside in the Great Lakes region, we uh, um, we you know we we always reflect fondly on those, and we've got a little bit more golf coming next year. So I think those of us that are craved and always uh, wanting more, we're going to get more opportunities to be the best on the PGA Tour play in our own backyard. Yeah, and and you know we we I was telling uh, in, in the setup of this, you know, we get to do this incredible gig uh, with PGA Tour Radio, uh, where you're inside the ropes, uh, close to it. You know, I I try to tell people what it's like, but I, I want you to give a crack at telling the audience because uh, they hear me talk about it enough on uh, the weekly radio show, and people say, "Oh, you get to walk in the ropes," but can you just explain in your words just how awesome of an experience it is? You know, I'll fully admit, Kevin, that I've completely taken it for granted. Uh, and I, you know, and I kind of had my uh, my awakening moment this year. I was at the um, the last year of the World Golf Championship event at Bridgestone before it moves to Memphis. And I actually had two of my best friends, and they came over for a day or two, and we, we just hooked them up with some passes and everything. And, and while they don't walk inside the ropes, they're along the ropes in the clubhouse. You got to come into the interview area and see the interview you know, Justin Thomas and a couple other guys that had kind of wrapped up their round. And that night at dinner, they were just like, I can't believe it. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. And they're just raving here and this. And it's the best day of their life. And, you know, the thing to, that I always tell people is that, um, you know, whatever you see on TV, I don't think does justice to how good the guys are. And we see so many shots through the course of a week or through the course of a round. Um, that it, I think it can get a little bit numbing sometimes to then realize just how special it is to watch like Dustin Johnson hit a driver or to watch um, Justin Thomas right now, you know, hit his little clip uh, fading wedge uh, with unbelievable precision or watching Tiger Woods come back and just sort of see the gravitas and the energy um, and the showmanship that comes with that. I don't think people really realize how good of a showman Tiger is. We just expect that that's who he is, but his sense for the moment, the understanding, and sort of how the galleries go with them. And so there are these things that I just don't think come through on the TV screen that you get to feel unless you're actually sort of walking up there up close and you get to sort of see the sweat and see the effort and see the things that they put into it. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's pretty special to be a part of it. Um, and I just sort of pinch myself and remind myself because the other thing I don't people think people realize also is just how normal the guys are and how long the week sort of are because we can sort of pare everything down to the back nine on a Sunday. But I always tell people, you know, uh, second wave on a Friday afternoon in a hot week when the cut's already sort of been established and the uh, late early scoring wave was the only place where you can make birdies uh, can sometimes be a long three or four hours worth of work. So there's a little bit of a yin and yang there. 
Oh, yeah. No, it's well said there. I, I agree w- with all of that. Um, it is cool to see, and it's kind of our normal. Sometimes, you know, we're too close to the forest to see the trees, although there's other times I'm glad I'm close to that forest and seeing it. <laughs> and I still see the trees, uh, too, with it. Uh, it is just a cool thing. And, yeah, when, when you get that, um, I don't want to say comfort level, uh, because, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to take it for granted, so it's not a comfort level, but when you – um, you're, you're just the familiarity of, of being there, and you, you can make a comment to a caddy or just a look at a you know golfer when they hit a really nice shot. You tell them, and, they, and the guy say, "Hey, thanks." You know, like uh, when you can yeah. tell what what is a great shot and what's a routine shot. It took me probably a year and a half to figure that out, frankly. Um, you know, looking at shots that these guys would have and be like, "Well, that's a tough shot." I'm like, "Well, that's not a tough shot. It's a tough shot for me. That's <laughs> not a tough shot for them." And the other, you know, the other right. thing I notice, and, and perhaps you'll agree with this, the, every one of them hits a bad tee shot, seemingly around at least one per round. So I, I've learned not to get mad when I hit a bad one per round because I see the best in the world do it all the time. Yeah, they're yeah they're very human, and maybe something that your listeners can sort of take away from it is again, like I'm not a world class player, but I played enough and I've been around the game long enough in my life to be what I call dangerously ignorant when it comes to the professional game, and so. I feel like everything is sort of learning, but I have sort of taken things from watching these guys that I give back to, you know, to amateurs or even sometimes into my own game. And it's to me, it's it's course management because there's two ways to miss off the tee on the PGA Tour. There's a bad miss, which is where you miss your target or you miss on the improper side of the fairway by sort of a wide margin. And then there's a miss where it's okay, maybe the guy was trying to put it down the left center. And he just tugged it ever so slightly, and it trickles into the left side of the rough, but it still opens up a back right hole location. And so I think that's the course management aspect of the game, uh, the imagination, the stuff around the greens, the various sort of shot types and ways. I mean, yes, these guys hit the center of the club face more than we ever will as mere mortals in the game. But it's the other things, the way that they're sort of thinking their way around the golf course, that I think goes a little bit unnoticed because we just expect them to just blast it down the fairway. But go walk around with a guy who shoots a, an effortless 66 versus a guy who shoots a, a stressful maybe 67 in terms of the scrambling that had to go on, where they were leaving themselves, the heroic shots to sort of get out of it. And you get to see more and more of these rounds. You sort of start to see how every shot isn't necessarily created equally, which I think is kind of cool to watch. All right. Something that, that's cool is Will's podcast. It's called The Perfect Number Podcast. I want to talk about that first, and then we'll get into some numbers, FedEx Cup numbers for this week. But yep. Will, tell everybody about the Perfect Number podcast. Well, you know, it was something I, you know, I used to do some daily um, and weekly shows on SiriusXM, and, and when I, I lost the opportunity to do some of those, I just had so much junk floating around in my head that I had to get it out of there <laughs> somehow. And, uh, and as you know, and everybody knows me, podcasting has become a really good way uh, to connect audiences in unique or in sometimes in individual sort of ways, and it's on demand, which is made for a really neat listening experience. And the last thing I wanted to do was sort of crowd uh, the golf podcasting space, which has already got too many of them probably to begin with. And the last thing I wanted to do was to be uh, to crowd up the guys that are doing some things in some great areas. And so I went to an area that I kind of have interest in, and I think it's sort of the geeky, nerdy side of the game, and that is you know, statistics, analytics, uh, bigger sort of question stuff. And so, you know, we try and post something every week. It's not necessarily going to be stats-oriented every week. Um, I've had a really great run with a couple of different caddies just to kind of get a different perspective. And then maybe even some bigger trends and stuff within the business, whether it's technology, um, you know, retail, 
some of the other areas that affect the game of golf, but predominantly talking about golf on the PGA Tour. So I appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about it. But yeah, the Perfect Number Podcast, anywhere you can find podcasts, tune in, iTunes, Stitcher, all the like. And we're starting to grow a little bit of a following and an audience that we pull back a little bit on data. Cause, and one thing I want to make people aware of, is I don't think that stats have all of the answers. There's definitely a human element of it. And there's an emotional element to the game. There's a psychological sort of element to it. But what I always tell people is I feel like for those of us that can't relate 100% to what guys are doing, sometimes stats are the bridge where we can understand the sport a little bit more. And that's kind of my philosophy or my mantra to it is that yeah, I don't think stats have all of the answers, but I think certainly stats can point us in the right direction to find those answers. Well, and you know the the PGA Tour certainly adopted that. You know, we use them all the time in our prep before we go out on the golf course. Uh, if we're following a group in particular, in you know looking at uh, average scoring per hole, uh, proximity to the hole, like the the individual golfer stats, it's at, it's at the fingertips of everybody, and it it's pretty telling. Matter of fact, I, I was arguing the case against uh, for Finau over Shoffley for the Ryder Cup based upon Finau's birdie average uh, given with match play, and it was you know, the guy was 11th where Shoffley was 73rd. Like To me, it was a no-brainer yeah. if you look at that. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. If you, you'll get a lot of eye rolls from people when you talk about stats, including some players. You, know, you have to kind of be – take the temperature of the conversation when you say, okay, well, you rank this in statistical category X, this guy ranks this in statistical category Y, and it can get, you know, guys like, well, you know, stats don't matter as much. Well, the fact of the matter is their coaches, their team, and they, for a good part, are looking at those numbers at some point to figure out either good or bad areas to improve, areas to strengthen, things of that nature. And, yeah, it can be, especially at this time of the season, we've got so many data points, I mean, millions and millions of data points throughout the course of the year you can you can definitely tell now with one week to go in the PGA Tour season who's been good at X and who's been bad at Y. And I, I don't think there's a whole lot of argument there. Now, we can get into what that may be and if that gap really needs to be. Like a perfect example is Jordan Spieth's putting. Jordan Spieth's going to finish with a negative strokes gain putting average on the PGA Tour this year, which is crazy for a guy who, in my opinion, two years ago was the best putter on the planet. But statistically, that's for an entire gap of a season when he was historically bad for the first six months of the PGA Tour season. He's actually been pretty good. He's been better than average over the last few months. So you have to sort of look at it within some of those frameworks uh, when you're having the conversation. But it still points out a fact that a guy who had a disappointing year and didn't make it to the Tour Championship can really point to his bulky putter at the beginning of the year for a big reason why he had failures. All right, that's a that's a nice uh, leeway. So, again, the, the Perfect Number podcast, uh, check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your uh, your pods. Uh, check it out. Uh, recent episodes uh, include Mark Immelman, one of our, our colleagues, and now CBS's Mark Immelman. He's doing a great mm-hmm. job there. Uh, Beamer, Rich Beam has been on there. Jeff Willett, PGA Tour caddy. Those are among, amongst the uh, recent episodes of the Perfect Number podcast. All right, so numbers. And you mentioned Jordan Spieth. And weird that he is not there. One spot out of making the Tour Championship um, not making it into the top 30 and that predicament uh, of not having the minimum number of PGA Tour events. What's your quick take on that with Jordan Spieth? Boy, I don't know if there is a quick take for him. The putter was certainly a problem at the beginning of the year. And here's the thing, and, and maybe this is the case, and I don't necessarily have all of the scientific evidence to back this sort of up, but this has just sort of been the discussion. Uh, from people uh, around the game over the last few months when it comes to Jordan Spieth is that 
Jordan Spieth won early with a combination of incredible determination, grit, competitiveness, and the best short game in the world. Um, some of the stuff from Tita Green wasn't that great. I mean, his driver's always been a little bit of an issue in terms of misses. He gets a little bit snappy with it. Those who understand the golf swing know that his golf swing maybe isn't the most repeatable and best. I don't have any evidence there. I'm not a guru when it comes to the swing. Uh, but I think the numbers this year and the struggle with the putting just sort of shows a, a psychological battle that's sort of going on with Jordan. And that is, if the future of the game truly is Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, guys who are somewhat overpowering off the tee, comparatively speaking to Jordan Spieth, it isn't short. It's not like he's in the bottom half of the PGA Tour. You know, what is Jordan doing to try and, and close what he perceives as the gap? And many will say that you don't need to close any gap. Continue doing what it was that made you successful. Become the best putter again. Um, you know, continue to be a world-class sort of chipper and guy who saved things around the green and then get that confidence and that sort of spark back. And that's really where I think where Jordan was lost this year. He just looked unhappy at times. And whether it was the off-season mono, which I don't think anybody really talked about, how it took him away from his preparation, but both his body and his game, and if that just slowed him down enough to where he felt like he was in a funk and he couldn't recover, or if there really is some scar tissue that's sort of up there, I just think he needs a little bit of a regrouping. But he's getting married this fall, and maybe there's a little bit of, of that. I mean, I didn't really help out at all on my wedding plan, Kevin, so I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, but maybe he's, uh, maybe he's involved in that process as well, and maybe it'll be a fresh reset on the next year. But I just don't think his mind was ever really right. He just seemed unhappy on the golf course, and that's just not where he needs to be. He needs to be happy competing, not unhappy trying not to lose, which is kind of what it looks like in some of the times outside of the back nine at Augusta um, when you know he made bogey on the last hole. But other than that, that was really the only time we saw sort of joy out of Jordan's feet out there embracing the grind and the challenge. Well, you know, I'll tell you, the, the point about uh, Mono, matter of fact, when I saw him early in the season – and I was talking, uh, I forget who I was talking, one of our colleagues. And I just said, I go, my guess is he's got mono. Like, what? I go, he's young. Uh, I said, he's lost a lot of weight, you can tell. And he didn't have a lot of weight to lose. And his energy yeah. seems low. And that's and that's what, I had mono as an 18-year-old, and it was awful. And it took eight months to get back to feeling normal. And you're just exhausted yeah. the whole time. And so he's trying to, to stay as one of the top golfers in the world and you know, listen, their practice rounds, the walking, I mean, it's draining. Everything, being Jordan Spieth is, takes a lot of energy to be Jordan Spieth with all the commitments he has, um, sponsorship-wise, uh, business-wise, very involved with his sister and family and all that stuff. So um, I certainly understand that uh, with the disease. And I thought he handled uh, his situation well in his comments about, look, at, uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't make it, didn't comply, I'll I'll take what is going to come my way. So, yeah, find one of the richest twenty-five-year-olds in the country. I'll see. Uh, don't worry. I don't think the fine's going to hurt him too much. And look, he built his schedule around thinking he's going to play all the way to the Tour Championship. Sure. I don't have any problem with it. I think it was it was way too much much ado about nothing. But um, you know, I actually think the week off or the extra week off will help him. And I honestly think that a Ryder Cup and you know put him with Captain America. And get out there and get the competitive juices flowing. Don't think about the swing, and it's not about you. Now you get to play for a team. I think that could actually help them because all of a sudden you go from not worrying about yourself to worrying about others. And I don't think there's really anybody in his generation outside of Patrick Reed who burns with as much fire. He just needs to find the positive burn, not the negative burn. Yeah, and you know what? There's going to be a tournament out there next year that's going to be the winner 
from all of this because Jordan's probably going to have to put one on his schedule that he hasn't played before. So um, that'll be the good news out of it for Jordan Speed. All right, listen, the top five is set. It's DeChambeau, Rose, Finau, Johnson, and Thomas. Um, the top five. You want to be in that magic top five for a chance to win the FedEx Cup. Nobody's really talked about Justin Thomas. He's got a chance to repeat. He made it into the top five. Uh, you know, DeChambeau took all the news with a solidified of the first spot. Uh, even before, without, he could have played, not played the BMW Championship and been number one. Rose becoming number one in the world. Finau's been great. And, but Thomas and, frankly, Dustin Johnson. Well, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about those two guys. They have a chance to win the FedEx Cup. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think Justin Thomas is the most underappreciated all-around player on the PGA Tour, if not in the world. I think you actually put Justin Rose in that category a little bit, but I actually think that Rose gets a little bit more credit even than JT does. And you've got a guy in Thomas who was right there, uh, battled back, finished second last year in the tournament, but still won the FedEx Cup. And I'll never forget that. I mean, he was very gracious. He was happy at the fact. But I remember being with uh, with Thomas last year in that situation, and it felt sort of anticlimactic. Like, okay, great, I get to hoist the FedEx Cup, but I didn't win the golf tournament. And now he's back this year. He's playing pretty well. Um, it's not necessarily as dominant as he was probably at this time a season ago, but there's just really not a hole in his game. And for the same reason we were sort of talking about all of the attention and things that you know pulled Jordan Spieth in a million different areas is that Justin Thomas hasn't had to deal with sort of the marketing crush that a lot of these other guys have to do. Um, and maybe he w- he would like to sort of deal with that. He certainly has advertisements and stuff on TV and has things that sort of take up his time. But he's able to sort of float under the radar a whole lot more, especially when you look at the galleries out there compared to a guy like Jordan or other places. I, just, I don't think he gets the credit that you do because there isn't one thing that Justin Thomas does spectacularly well compared to a lot of guys out there. He just does everything really, really well. I think he's the best all-around player on the PGA Tour um, and when you sort of measure all the stuff together, um, and I, to me, he's the guy going into Eastlake. I think Justin Rose is sort of the one B to JT if you're handicapping those top five that are out there. Um, DeChambeau's never played the golf course, so it'll be interesting to sort of see what happens if he gets to know it a little bit, and especially given how tired it was winning the first two playoff events. Um, I won't get into the DJ personal scandal, but there's something there that is, that's happening. Um, if he has to go on Twitter to talk about it, and there's something sort of there. And while his results are good, they're not great by his standards. And Tony Finau, um, I would love to see him win it because I think if there's one thing that now is sort of burdening Tony Finau with all of this lead-up to getting the pick to the Ryder Cup is that how is this guy so good and he's won once on the PGA Tour? And it's going to continue sort of dogging him now moving forward as he's in sort of the spotlight. And I think it would be great going to France if he just silenced everybody, won $10 million, got the heck on the plane, and bought drinks for everybody in France. Yeah, well, that's a that's a fair point with with Finau. It's a great story, really is uh, Tony Finau. Yeah. But be third and be third in FedEx Cup uh, ranks, going to a chance to win it without winning it, as you mentioned, without winning a tournament this year. He's got eleven top tens, couple runner ups in there, and it's just remarkable. Uh, you know, that he hasn't won. He's had a great season. It goes to show you can have a great season without winning. It reminds me of Phil a couple of years ago when he led the tour in scoring average and didn't win. And right. <laughs> Finau uh, is in that in that category, and it would seem fitting if he won, but I agree. I, I think Rose and Thomas are the two to watch here. But, uh, I mean, if you got tied for seventh last year in the event, and there's a mathematical way 
Now, how funny would it be if he wins the FedEx Cup without winning the tournament? That would be sort of the, the Tony Cena way of going about it. And there's plenty of mathematical ways for him to go face off of where DeChambeau finishes, who ends up winning the tournament, where Rose finishes, things of that nature as possible. But, I mean, a, a perfect example, he made it last year. He made chipped in on the final hole at the BMW to make it on the number into the top 30 to the Tour Championship. And then, like he does in almost every tournament, found a way to have a top 10 uh, at East Lake. So, uh, you know, he's just he's so solid. He's so solid. It's just I want to see him get into the winner circle because winning breeds winning. And I think he just needs that. He needs a Sunday charge to win a golf tournament to take what is now the logical next step for himself. Yeah, the break the breakthrough to – uh, winning, it's like, it's, well, we talk about all the time, right? And, and even, you know, any broadcast you listen to, that second win, it like it, it's like a val- it validates the win, right? I mean, you, yeah. you have, winning once in the PGA Tour is remarkable and hard hard enough for professional golfers. Uh, but you, so you getting that second one, it's just like, okay, now I'm a winner, it seems, on the PGA Tour. It's weird, right? Psychologically speaking, uh, hey, you won one time, like that's remarkable, but hey, you got to win again. Uh, you know, and, and guys certainly and, try every single week, you know? Field event too. And, and he won an opposite field event, too, Kevin, which I think that you know, people don't even know. I mean, if you ask a, a casual golf fan, where did Tony Fina win on the PGA Tour? I don't think 50% of people can answer that question. So, I mean, I think that's also the part of it is that. You know, and and we look at his record, and we're aware of it because people tell us about it. But when he has this top five running majors this year, I'd love to see how many shots of Tony Finau did they show on TV on Sunday at all of these majors where he finished inside the top ten. I mean, comparatively speaking to the rest of the guys, like we know he's there because you and I are there week in and week out. We see the numbers sort of after the fact, but how consciously aware is the golfing public of how good Tony Finau is? Because you know, not all top fives are created equally. Not all top tens are created equally. Uh, you have to be really consistent and really good to sort of be there. But, you know, he hasn't been a top of the leaderboard sort of guy either in that string of top fives and top tens. So we need a winning performance out of Tony because I think it's really going to open the floodgates. Yeah, and I don't I don't think anybody doubts that. Well, I don't doubt. He's going to win at some point. He's going to win again uh, at some point on the PGA Tour. And it also – it just goes to show you, I mean, 11 top 10s, you can have a great year on the PGA Tour and not win, and that's what Tony Finau has had to date. Uh, he's had a great year. He's made the uh, – beginning, beginning of this year, if you would have said Tony Finau's making the Ryder Cup team, I think a lot of people have said you're crazy. But he made it based upon, yeah. a, a, you know, a year-long great performance and, uh, you know, the playoffs performing well and really outplaying uh, Xander Schauffele and – you know, that, that final pick, DeChambeau, I thought, this is going to sound crazy. Well, I, I thought he was on the bubble, but then he won. And then it was, okay, he's off the bubble. But I didn't think he was a slam dunk. I thought he would have went down to one of the the, the, the last two picks uh, for Jim Furyk. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I totally agree with that. I mean, especially given the fact that a month and a half ago, we had video of him melting down because he couldn't find his swing on the tee. And while I think it was a little bit unfair to him that you know they snuck a camera out there to sort of see a range session that he thought was private. We knew that he was struggling a little bit from the time that he won at Memorial and Jack's place up until he found this sort of recent run of form into the playoffs and then silenced all critics by going back-to-back. Um, I think the one thing that helped him was he's was, he gotten so close with Tiger Woods. We knew Tiger was going to be on the team. And if you subscribe to the pod system and, and we know that we're going to have, kind of have guys that are all sort of together, he kind of fits into – 
that little team room when it comes to Tiger and the bond, I guess, or the relationship that they have in, in terms of how analytically both of them sort of break down the game of golf in their own unique sort of way. So, you know, I think when you look at all the guys that were out there floating for Jim Furyk to pick, I agree with you. I don't think he was a lot to get in there, and winning certainly changed that. But now looking back on it, I'm not necessarily sure who else you sort of shoehorn onto the team. You know, it, it would have been maybe a Matt Kuchar. The guy I said at the beginning of the year that I thought would make the team was Patrick Cantlay. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's so solid, and he was pretty close, but he just didn't have enough performances to get in there that hasn't performed as great. Uh, you know, winning or something like that down the stretch. But, um, you know, the bench wasn't as full as I think we all thought when we were sort of looking at it. And then the Shambo sort of erased all doubts. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought I thought he was would have been if the Shambo hadn't won back to back. I thought Cooch and Zach Johnson had an opportunity to, to, to get hot and perhaps make it tough on Furyk to bring some veterans there to Europe. But the young guys and hey, give them credit. The uh, Shambo you know, remarkable what he's done this year. And in and actually the last 13 months, remarkable what he's done. And Finau, and I'll give Shoffley a ton of credit too for uh, picking it up when he needed to, but just didn't have a strong enough season. You know, I promise to keep you like 20 minutes. We're we're going a little long here, Will. Uh, you know, Ryder Cup, you know, just give me your, your quick uh, thoughts on, on the matchup there because Europe – Interesting picking Sergio. I mean, the guy's a Ryder Cup legend for Team Europe, but he's had, uh, to his standards, a terrible season. But he gets the nod for the Ryder Cup, and they went with a veteran lineup uh, with Thomas Bjorn's picks there. How do you like that matchup against Europe in the U.S.? Where's the strength? You know, it's weird. I'm sort of leaning towards Europe right now. I mean, you obviously have the uh, the – the history of, I mean, the U.S. hasn't won there practically in my lifetime on European soil, which uh, is a little bit of hyperbole, but, I mean, it's been over two decades since they've been able to put together a real challenge over there for it. I liked what Thomas Bjorn did with his uh, his picks. I mean, I know you could probably make a case for, like, a Thomas Peters or a Russell Knox or somebody over just taking all four sort of veterans, but he had five rookies that qualified. So, you know, out really outside of the Sergio pick, but, Sergio is a grinder, and it's a golf course by all accounts that requires really good driving. And even though Sergio hasn't been playing well, he's still one of the best drivers of the golf ball on the planet. So you can sort of hide him, you know, through the course of some of those matches and just ride the horses with Rory playing well and Justin Rose playing so well. And some of those guys kind of rising to the challenge when it comes to it. And on the other side for the U.S. team, I mean, you know, we just talked earlier about the questions with Jordan Speed. It was good to see Ricky Fowler play well at the BMW Championship with that oblique strain because that was a concern, I think, for Team USA going in. You know, where's Dustin Johnson at mentally right now? You, know, you just had some guys that you know are kind of like, what's going on? I mean, Phil Mickelson finishes practically last at the BMW in Philadelphia. Now, I think he's a little bit of a different animal because of how he rides the team sort of competition. So I know this is me rambling. When I've sort of talked myself into, I'm more concerned about some of the form of Team USA than I necessarily am of Team Europe, especially when you're thinking about where they're going to play. On foreign soil, a golf course that's going to be set up a little bit more likely for a European team that's based more on precision. I mean, if there's a long drive competition, Team USA could bench their top four and still win. I mean, that's that's how big and stout the lineup is for Team USA, but Jim Furyk mentioned it a lot when he was talking about where they were going to go with Ryder Cup picks. Is that look, this is a golf course where we have to think about fit and who sort of fits the golf course, which I think is ludicrous. You take the best player possible 
uh, and you figure it out when you get there. But if there's something to that, um, we'll see if these you know, precision veteran players that Thomas Bjorn went with, Sergio and Poulter and Henrik Stenson and guys that really don't get in a whole lot of trouble um, on narrow type of golf courses, if that sort of pays dividends for down the road. Because I kind of like the makeup of their team. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with that. I, I think Europe's going to be very tough. I, Bjorn knew what he's doing, selecting those veterans uh, and, and going for it there. And Team USA, Patrick Reed's got to capture some magic and lead the charge the way he did at Hazeltine. And because he's he's a guy full of emotion, right? And the emotion of Tiger. And, you know, perhaps Tiger can capture some of that emotion. But some other guys. Uh, you know, the Shambo's an emotional player, but Kepka Johnson, not not exactly the biggest emotional <laughs> emotional guys out there. And you need someone to bring that emotion and, and fire things up at the Ryder Cup. And, of course, Europe uh, will have that uh, in everybody. And so, USA, it's going to be interesting. It is a Ryder Cup. It's great. Always fun to watch, and uh, I'm looking forward to it happening. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me uh, on the podcast here. And just want to mention again, the Perfect Number Podcast. I want everybody to check it out. Again, where you uh, download your podcast, you can go to iTunes, subscribe there, Stitcher, TuneIn, everywhere, right? Everywhere podcasts can be found. That's right. It's the beauty of them. They're, they're everywhere. They're floating around out there, and they will be chasing us until our dying day. All right, Well, Hey, have a great fall, and uh, enjoy the Ryder Cup, a tour championship first under Ryder Cup, and then the start to the 2019 PGA Tour season. Thanks, Kev. My thanks again to Will Haskett. Check out his podcast. And as you can tell, he's got a lot of great insight on the game of golf. All right, I want to give you just my quick thoughts on Jack Nicholas's visit to Buffalo concerning the Nicholas Signature Course Project uh, near South Park. For those, maybe you never played the Buffalo City golf courses, you have Delaware Park, you have South Park, and you have Kaz Park. I used to live right near Kaz Park, and we should go play Kaz Park all the time. Charm is what I'll say the word for the nine-hole golf course. Uh, the rite of passage, anybody who lives in South Buffalo, uh, the Kaz Park, I used to call it the daycare center of South Buffalo in the summer when school is out. Uh, and, and then I'd you know, go play South Park because it wasn't far. Uh, again, another nine holes there and avoid all the goose poop <laughs> when you're playing it. But it had some uh, interesting holes over the water. Never played Delaware Park, although Coach Baseball and a couple of the holes are adjacent to the Diamonds. You have this uh, great park in the middle of the city, and what they're proposing, and Kevin Gaughan is really uh, spearheading this and in, in behind this, um, what they're proposing is uh, Nicholas Golf Course Design uh, would be uh, you know, the developer to redo the Delaware Park Golf Course, kind of reshape the golf course, if you will, it would add some more space, I think, for park goers, people who are not golfers, uh, for the park. And then move South Park Golf Course over to the industrial land uh, near it and make South Park uh, Golf Course all that, you know, more of the park and arboretum, if you will. Uh, but develop this 18-hole signature Jack Nicholas Golf Course, which would be near the waterfront within the city limits. And it would be a destination for golfers. So, and the project from, I understand, $42 million. And Kevin Gaughan's got $4 million pledged right now. So it's not just going to be all uh, public funds. There are some private funds in it. But there are going to be public funds. That's why Jack Nichols is here to meet with 
civic leaders, uh, city leaders, uh, to discuss what the project will do. There's education portion of it. Um, you know, I, I used to be on the board of the first tee of Western New York, and I do know what that program can do. Jim Horn's got a, uh, a foundation where he teaches inner city youth uh, golf and the skill, life skills that go along with it. So there are great programs that help our youth in Western New York through the game of golf, and part of that will be tied into this project with uh, the Nicholas Golf Course design, signature golf course in Delaware Park and then over part of South Park. Now, overall, does Buffalo need a new golf course? No, we don't need a new golf course. Uh, matter of fact, I mean, there are golf courses in our area that are hurting, but we're talking about access in the city uh, to golf. And right now, the only access in the city to golf is at Delaware Park and South Park, Kaz Park. They're nine-hole courses, and frankly, none of them are big boy golf courses, if you will. So what, what I like about this is you're going to have one of the greatest golfers of all time uh, reshape one of the nine holes and then build an 18-hole golf course on city property, property where, in theory, in theory, the access to inner city youth and golfers in the city is closer that you'd have a signature golf course there. And, you know, with all these people coming to Buffalo, um, some golfers coming to play a signature golf course, that will happen. To what length? I'm not going to sit here and give you numbers. And frankly, I never believe numbers that are uh, put out anyways uh, with it. But if you're asking me if Jack Nichols building a signature golf course is a good idea for Buffalo, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, do I believe uh, taxpayer dollars are going to be involved? Yes. Should they be? Sure. Uh, I'm a golfer. I love golf. Make my living through golf. So I'm going to advocate uh, the best golf experiences we can get and exposing it to the game and showing uh, people what can be done I, I think is fantastic. You have all that land over there by the waterfront, repurposing some of it, some of that industrial land, and to make it a signature golf course I think would be fantastic so i'm all for it frankly oh sure it's not my 42 million to be spent on that but believe me after what's been done with some money that the state has given and stuff they'll find a way to make the money find a way to make it happen as jack nicholas looking to do a project here in buffalo and his team so i hope that it gets done i hope that it gets done i know you know again we have other golf courses that are um hurting here in western new york so the argument i understand that point of it but if this is about the location of this golf course and not so much about just building another golf course and i think the location is an important point and i'm glad to see that delaware park is part of the project not just in south park there that delaware park is that you can be able so but within the city limits that you can have bus access to get there and I think that would be the important thing. So I hope it happens. I hope it's a, a successful visit uh, for Jack Nicholas. I've had a chance to meet and interview the Golden Bear before. It was you know surreal. I mean, it's Jack Nicholas. <laughs> it's just just incredible uh, for that. I've met Arnold Palmer before. Incredible, the late great Arnold Palmer. I got to get Gary Player on the list and Tom Watson. But um, I just hope this happens here in Buffalo. I'm all for promoting the game of golf now. The one thing that we've, we've got to find a way to do for everybody golfing is the access to it, right? Time and money. Time and money. 
Those are, the, to me, the biggest issues uh, facing growing the game of golf, time and money. It costs a lot of money, takes up a lot of time. Find a way to speed that process up. Uh, then you got something there. All right, my thanks again to Will Haskett for joining me. Great discussion on the PGA Tour Ryder Cup. Make sure you check out his podcast if you get a chance uh, to learn more about the game of golf and the entertaining guests that he has on there, the Perfect Number podcast. I thank you for listening to the TD Green podcast. I'm Kevin Sylvester.